0: life is full of awkward moments and if you're in the middle of one of those awkward moments then you may be feeling please god make this stop get me out of here but if you have the privilege of being on the outside you're saying get me some popcorn i want this to continue for a long time and, and I, I love awkward moments. I grew up in Las Vegas, which is the best place in the world that people watch. And so you just see all of these awkward moments. I, I brought a couple of examples for you. One of those awkward moments is, is when you go in for a handshake and the other person wants a hug, you know, and you're just like, oh, this is weird. This is awkward. Or, or maybe like when I was in Las Vegas growing up and someone catches you staring at them. And you're like, Um, or that moment where you go to give somebody a high five and they leave you hanging, you know, like those are just, those are just awkward moments. I was thinking about my own life this week and one of my most awkward moments happened about a year ago. We were meeting over at uh, Mile High Middle School when we couldn't meet in this place and I came out to preach and for the very first time, my fly was down and I had no idea. And so uh, throughout the first part of the message, they're trying to send me text messages. Like I'm going to take my phone while I'm preaching, you know, and somebody's in the back waving their hands, but apparently the lights were so bright I couldn't see them. And so they're putting up a little like notice on my cue monitor, you know, to like check my fly. And so finally they get word to one of our team members who's sitting right here in the front and I look down at him and he's like... And there's often a moment at the beginning of my message where I I read scripture and then I pray, but we'd already passed that moment. And so there was no convenient time. And so I just decided to embrace the awkwardness. I named the elephant in the room and in front of hundreds of people, I just zipped it right back up. Now, awkward moments, I believe, not only are part of life, but they're inevitable. But sometimes what happens is we do whatever we can and at all costs, We avoid those awkward moments. We avoid the discomfort that could come. And here's what I've learned the hard way. If you refuse to do something that might lead you to looking or feeling uncomfortable, you will never grow. If you think back to those seasons in your life where you grew the most, or maybe you're in one of those moments right now, that's often attached to discomfort, awkwardness, or maybe even pain. So the question I want to begin this morning with is this, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? Because your answer to this question is the same answer to the question of how much do you want to grow? Samuel Chand wrote a book called Leadership Pain where he said your capacity for pain is equal to your capacity for growth now i hate that truth it's an inconvenient truth i wish that it was your capacity for fun was your capacity for growth but but that's not the case the case is is that our willingness to get uncomfortable our willingness to endure awkward moments and our willingness to embrace pain is equal to our capacity for growth And that's relevant because we're in a series right now called A Living Hope in a Hostile World. We're working our way through the book of 1 Peter, which is full of awkward moments. It's full of uncomfortable topics. It's full of passages that challenge and press us and push us. And I told you last week that last week's message was a tough one to prepare. And this week's message was certainly a tough one to prepare. And it may be, for some of you, a tough one to hear. I may say things today that you don't like. I may say things that make you uncomfortable or challenge you. And you are going to be tempted, if that is your experience over the next 30 minutes or so, to tune me out, or maybe if you're watching from home, to just turn me off. I've, I've heard that happen sometimes with those of you watching at home. You're like, you just annoyed me, so I just clicked you off. You know, like, <laughs> if you're here in the room, you don't have that option. But see, here's the thing. We live in a culture that would rather leave when uncomfortable things get said rather than listen and grow. And so I go back to the statement earlier if you get uncomfortable today, and you might, remember, discomfort is attached to growth. And here's our big idea for this morning. We've been kind of dancing around it for the last couple minutes. God's calling on our lives, it feels uncomfortable. But it is for our good and our growth. God's calling on our lives may lead us into discomfort. It may feel uncomfortable. But remember, God's calling for our life is always for our good and always for our growth. Even if in the moment it's like, I don't necessarily feel like this is for my good or for my growth. And we're going to see this today in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. We're not going to stand today. I know I'm going to break up my normal pattern, keep you guys on your toes. We're going to, yeah, thank you. Sorry for that, Josh. Josh was ready back there. Uh, But today what we're going to do is we're going to dig through three challenging messages and we're going to take these piece by piece. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we'll have all the verses on the screen. And for each of these messages, there's going to be a word to a specific group. And I'm going to start with a specific group. I'm going to start with the wives in the room. But husbands, don't worry. I'm coming for you later. So don't get excited too much because you'll be on the hook later. The first challenging message in 1 Peter 3 is this, a challenging message to wives. And yes, it is the S word, submit. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, here's what Peter says. In the same way, wives... Submit yourselves to your husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure and reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sights. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I told you this was a fun one to write. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Let's break this down piece by piece. The first phrase that Peter uses, is he says, in the same way. Now, I want to remind you that this is not, in its current form, the way the people who were the recipients of 1 Peter experienced this passage. Many of you have a leather-bound Bible today. That's how you're reading 1 Peter. Others of you are, are on a digital device, which would have seemed like space magic to the people of the first century. That's how you're reading the Bible. What they got was probably a scroll that one person delivered to them and stood in front of them and read in one sitting. So, so when Peter says in the same way, you're like, in the same way as what? Because we're just jumping in right here. But what Peter's doing is drawing on what he said that we read last week, which was about one section, how slaves submit to masters and how you submit to, to poor treatment. And so that's why Peter says in the same way, because he's linking back to that. And he says, in the same way, submit. The word he's using is the Greek word hupotasso, which means to subordinate oneself, to place oneself under, or to align oneself under the authority of another. It's the same word that he used last week in the context of slaves. This word was commonly used as a military term to describe how soldiers would submit to their superior Or how slaves would submit to their masters. It was a submission based upon position, not based upon a person. So when Peter speaks to wives and he says submit, he's not saying, hey, submit because the person you're submitting to is a great person. They have incredible character. They're a sterling person. They're a role model. He's saying submit based upon the position that they hold. And and this this word there, hupostasso, indicates that it's not a spineless submission. It's a voluntary one. No one can make you submit to someone else. Even if you're the kind of person who believes the Bible is true, no one can make you, if you are a wife, submit to your husband. It's a voluntary thing. You have to choose it. And so Peter is saying, hey, in the same way that I I called slaves to submit to the person that they hold a a position under as a master or earlier, a citizen to submit to the emperor that's over them, I'm encouraging you, I'm inviting you wives to submit to your husbands. Now, what we don't know in this text is we don't know the character or even the belief of these husbands. We don't know if they are followers of Jesus or if they are not. And so, so the answer to this question, I think, would give us some indication maybe of, of how this submission should happen. Are you submitting to somebody who shares your faith, or are you submitting to somebody who doesn't? And the text doesn't give us a good answer. So what this may mean is that there's a wife who's submitting to a husband who's not a believer, and as Peter is saying, God is going to use that submission in the life of the unbelieving husband. Or it may be that you're submitting to a husband who is a believer, but is a pretty terrible person. You know, sometimes people are followers of Jesus and God still has work to do on them. But either way, he's saying to submit. But he doesn't stop there with his word to wives. He says that that they are to recognize that there is a problem with a superficial kind of beauty in this day. Now, I know a lot of times we think that we're really advanced and evolved people. You know, we've, we've moved past the issues that people had in the Bible because we have all this technology and we've made all these advancements. But it seems to indicate in this text that there was a temptation in the day of Peter for women to get the idea that their beauty was tied up in how they look. This is a, 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 a headdress and a, a sculpture from the, the time of Peter. Now, I'm not sure anybody would you know, naturally adopt this hairstyle today, but I see lots of hairstyles that I would not naturally adopt all the time for myself. Um, so, but this was, in that day, what was the trendy thing to do. And so Peter is saying, hey, with it, whether it's your clothes, whether it's your jewelry, whether it's your hair, don't define your beauty and worth that way. Define your worth in terms of your character, what's on the inside, what God sees. Then he says, do what is good without intimidation. So all these things that I'm inviting you to do, or I'm calling you to do in light of who you are, don't do them just because I'm telling you. That's the great temptation as followers of Jesus. That we do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. T.S. Eliot said that was the, the last and greatest temptation. To do the right thing for the wrong reason. And to do the right thing for the wrong reason, friends, is wrong. It corrupts. And so as you're listening to this, if you're a wife and you're like, okay, but am I doing this because I'm obligated to do it or I'm doing it because God says I should do it or I do it because I feel guilty, no. Do what is good without intimidation. But let me remind you, because he said in the same way, in submitting, in doing all of these things, we are never called to sin. And sometimes the teaching on this S word, submit, has been used and abused in the church context that you should submit to your spouse even if that requires you to sin. And that is the one clause we cannot forget. All throughout this book, Peter has said you are to submit, but even in your submitting, you should never sin. So if you're being abused, you don't submit to that. If in submitting, you have to cooperate and go along with sin, you don't submit to that. And I can tell from the quietness in the room that the big idea is true. That God's calling does feel uncomfortable. But according to Peter and according to God's word, it's for our good and it's for our growth. And we need to lean into it. Husbands, I told you I was coming for you, so you're up next. For husbands, there's a challenging message in this text, and it's the word sacrifice sacrifice. Peter continues in verse 7, and he says, husbands, in the same way, again, he's linking back, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. When I was reading this, I was reminded of what Paul says in Ephesians 5 to husbands. And there he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I know sometimes the perception is that because the Bible says that wives should submit, that means husbands are off the hook easy. But I think there's an equally and maybe even stronger message and challenge to husbands, both here in 1 Peter 3 and then also in Ephesians 5. Because if you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that means as a husband, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to yourself because this is what Christ did. He loved the church and he gave himself for her on the cross. Bonhoeffer was right when he said when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. You have to die to the flesh. You have to die to your will. And that's why this passage, I think, is so challenging for husbands. Because he says husbands in the same way. So again, he's, he's linking back to the hard word from chapter 2. And he's saying, you submit to Christ. You die to your flesh. You die to your will. And then you live with your wife in an understanding way. This word understanding means that you become a student. You become the resident expert... When I got married, I had a boss, and we didn't always see eye to eye. We didn't always relate well. I didn't always understand him. There was a huge gap between us age-wise, and and in other ways. And so, when we were getting ready to get married, he said, "Scott, you know, who is the best person for you to learn from when it comes to how to love your wife well?" And I said, "Well, I'm in premarital counseling, and I know they're doing a good job because I leave every time and I'm mad at them, and I don't want to go back. So they're they're obviously teaching me well. And and then I'm reading this book that's really making me mad, and it's challenging me well. And he said. Scott, the best person to teach you how to love your wife is your wife. She knows better than any author, and she knows better than your counselors. So live with her in an understanding way. Guys, you should be the expert on your wife, what she likes, what she doesn't like, what she wants, what she doesn't want, what she's into, what she's not into. You should be able to read her better than anybody else. You should be able to write the book on her. And that requires us to do the one thing as guys that we struggle with. Shut up and listen. (laughs) Not try to solve problems. Not try to fix things. But listen and take notes. He says, live with them in an understanding way. Come to understand them. Then he says something that's often been misconstrued. He says, as a weaker partner. And and that weaker partner reference is, is to the fact that many times, but not all times, many times, the husband is more physically strong than the wife. So he says, as a weaker partner. Let's be really clear, though. I've been a pastor long enough to know that not every wife is weaker mentally, emotionally, or spiritually than her husband. So he's not saying that you're stronger in every area. He says, but there may be areas where you're stronger. Then he says, show them honor. If you're getting uncomfortable, guys, well, what if they aren't honorable? Doesn't matter. Remember last week? Honor is given. Respect is earned. You can honor every person based upon your honoring and reverence of God. You don't have to respect them because their behavior is respectable but you have to show them honor then he says as co-heirs of the grace of life and again we're back to the question is is this wife a believer or not a believer if this wife is a believer and both husband and wives are believers then what peter is referring to is the equality of value in the kingdom of god there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of god where some people are worth more than others It's not pastors and missionaries and then everybody else. It's not men and then women. The ground at the foot of the cross is level, and the only one who's up is Jesus. There's no ladder you can climb where you're above other people. He had to die for your sins as much as anybody else, and the ground is level. So if this couple is both believers, then what what Peter's referring to as co-heirs of the grace of life is its equality. However, if Peter is referring to a husband and a wife that are um, different in their faith, and we don't know, if that's the case, then he's referring to the gift of life that God offers all because God gives everyone life whether they deserve it or not. And at the end is maybe the most sobering thing that I think he says to husbands or wives. He says to husbands, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Make a translation for this, and this is what caught my attention most as a husband this week. What Peter's saying is how you treat your wife determines how God hears your prayers. And I don't know any man that doesn't want God to hear their prayers. But what this text says is. It's based upon how you treat the person that you've asked God to make you one with, that you've committed yourself to for riches and poor in sickness and in health. How you treat them determines how God will hear your prayers. So that's why, husbands, I said, don't get too comfortable. Because I think this is the most challenging thing Peter says in this whole text. And again, God's calling feels uncomfortable, but it's for our good and for our growth. If you're single in the room, this is for you, and it's for all of us. The the final message from this text is a challenging message to all of us, and it's a message that calls us to surrender. With what's left in this text, I know of no other word that better sums it up than surrender. And as I was studying this week, I was taken back to a passage at the beginning of Romans 12. There, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And this is one of the most beloved passages in the New Testament followers of jesus trying to discern how we live in a challenging hostile age and i include this here as a setup because i think the word surrender that's present in this passage is a great summary and and filter to read the passage we're going to jump into right here because the ethics of a follower of jesus only makes sense in light of his sacrifice in our surrender When you think about what God calls us to do, that uncomfortable calling, it only makes sense if Jesus has given everything for us and if he's inviting us to in kind surrender our lives to him. And I say this because of what happens in the rest of this text. At the end of this text, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 12 and verses 8 through 12, there are 10 actions that many commentators call first century Christian ethics. This is how followers of Jesus were called to live. And the first one is this. He says in verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. It's apparently not a new human problem that we disagree and treat each other with dishonor, especially those who disagree with us. Just a a bit of a prediction for your week this week. I'm not sure where it's going to hold. Maybe you're on vacation or going to go on vacation for fall break. But this week, somebody's going to disagree with you. I know I'm really stepping out here on faith. Someone in your family is going to disagree with you. Someone who's also a follower of Jesus is going to disagree with you. And how are you going to respond to them? Paul says to be like-minded and sympathetic towards them when you disagree. That's first. Two, he says, love one another. Again, we're starting with basics here, but apparently Peter thinks we need it. And Peter would have heard Jesus say in John 13, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For 2,000 years, the best apologetic and deciphering and distinguishing characteristic of followers of Jesus is not our bumper stickers or WWJD bracelets. It's the way we love one another. Third, he says be compassionate and humble. Compassion compassion literally means to suffer with and to be humble means to lower oneself. Again, these are counterintuitive then and counterintuitive now. Number four, he says not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. Another prediction for your week. Somebody is going to say something about you that is unkind. It may rise to the level of slander, defamation, or insult. And it doesn't matter if you were doing the right thing if when they defame you, when they insult you, when they slander you, you return it in kind, you've, you've lost. You're no longer standing in a blameless position. And this is the place where as followers of Jesus, we have to stay above. I've seen a lowering in the standard for followers of Jesus, especially online recently. That it's become okay to insult people who insult us. It's become okay to be mean and vindictive, and slanderous, and to lower our language, and lower our tactics to theirs, Paul says you don't. He says next, instead, on the contrary, give a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. He's not saying give them money, he's saying with your words, bless them. This is back to the teaching of Jesus. What happens with your enemies? You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. And instead of cursing them, you bless them. Again, this is crazy then. And it sounds counterintuitive now. But this is the way we're called to follow Jesus. In light of what he did for us. He died for his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them who are crucifying me. For they don't know what they do. He continues, he says, keep your tongue from evil. For the one who wants to love his life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. And the next one is like it, keep your lips from deceit. So not only saying things that are wrong, but saying things that are untrue. And again, this is the place where I think we're tempted to lower the standard today. Well, it wasn't an outright lie, it was a white lie. So the color of it changes it. He goes on, he says, turn away from evil. This is the image of repentance, that not only do you, you turn towards Christ, but you turn away from the opposite. Verse number nine, he says, do what is good. And then number ten, he says, let him seek peace and pursue it. In scripture, we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Let me give you a great example of this. In about a month, you're going to have what is often the most tense meal of the year. Thanksgiving. Jesus does not call us to be peacekeepers. People who kind of create a fake, not real environment of of harmony. Hey, let's all be nice. Let's all just get along. He says, no, seek and pursue peace. Make peace peace go after peace he's not seeking for some faux peace or some fake peace but the real genuine peace some of you are like scott this is a long list and this kind of feels like a bunch of new laws i mean there's 10 of them except the 10 commandments what about grace i thought we were under grace why all this harsh like this is what you're supposed to do well here's the thing Many of us have adopted an idea about grace that's actually untrue. And the best summary of that difference or that wrong-headed belief is stated by Dallas Willard. He passed away a couple years ago. Dallas said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So as followers of Jesus, people who are people of grace, we are opposed to earning our place with God because he did all the work. But friends, as a follower of his, we're going to have to give some effort. As a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to break a sweat. It's going to be hard and uncomfortable. Now, the challenge in our day is, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're susceptible to the culture we live in, which says that the individual gets to decide what is right in his own eyes. We've gone from the truth to my truth. And this is, this is just the water we swim in. We're like fish. You ever try to talk to a fish about water? It's hard because it's just the world they live in. This is just the, the cultural waters we live in. And so we think, well, you know what? Like I, I read what's in the Bible, but this is what I think is right. Or this is what I think of being a Christian is. This is what's right in this moment. And friends, you don't get to decide what looking like Jesus means. He's already decided it. And so when we look at these things, we're like, oh, that's uncomfortable, or I'd be unpopular. Or, that wouldn't make sense. That's what following Jesus requires. And so before we go to our next steps, so the last thing I want to say is this, is this. Is if this list that we've been going over today, these 12 verses, doesn't bring any conviction for you at any point, friends, you've got problems. Your problem could be pride. That you think you're better than you actually are. And what the scriptures say from beginning to end is that pride always goes before the fall. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because God is going to lower the proud and raise up the humble. Maybe you're like, I don't, I'm not feeling conviction because I'm good. Maybe your problem is you've got a blind spot. And, and like a blind spot when you're driving, what happens in your blind spot is dangerous. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be married to you. It's a great question to ask your spouse this week. What's it like to be married to me? I don't know what you're going to hear, but it wouldn't be a blind spot anymore. What's it like to work for me? What's it like to be parented by me? What's it like to be my teacher or my coach? And if you don't feel any conviction, maybe your problem is callousness. You know, Jake and Hans and Josh, who are playing guitars today, if you went up to them and, don't do this, I'm saying if, don't do this, and you grabbed their hands, you'd find on their left hands that there's calluses on every one of their fingers. It's the way they play their instruments so well. And as a guitar player, a callous is a gift. But as a follower of Jesus, it's a curse. Because when your heart becomes calloused, God is trying to bring conviction, but it can't get through because you've been ignoring it for so long. And whether you're a husband or a wife or just an everyday follower of Jesus, if you don't ever feel the conviction of God, that is likely not a problem with God not speaking to you. It's probably a problem with your callousness that you're not hearing it. And so our big idea is this, that God's calling, it feels uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable for me to bring it. It may feel uncomfortable for you to hear it, but it is for our good and for our growth. So I have a couple of of straightforward, I'm not gonna say simple or easy next steps today. And the first one is this, wives, I wanna encourage you to ask yourself this week, what is this passage calling me to do that I am not currently doing? Now, I'm not saying husbands, tell your wives from this passage what they're not currently doing. I'm asking wives to look in the mirror, and if you're not currently doing it, then ask yourself, why am I not doing this? And dig into that. Husbands, same question. What in this passage is God calling me to do that I'm not currently doing? And why am I not doing it? And be honest with yourself. If you're like, I just don't want to, okay, be honest about that. It's too big of a calling. I don't want to die. But start with honesty. And then, finally, for all of us, how can I live out these commands in my circle this week? My circle, the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you hang out with, your neighbors. Because with these first century believers and us what Jesus is saying is when you live this way when you live differently you invite the conversation of why are you doing that you look different you stand out you don't make sense we're going to end the service in a different way today i'm going to ask the band to come out a little bit early and and i think with a message like this the temptation especially if you've been around church is that you you quickly fall into things like guilt and shame you fall into things like, I'm, I'm not worthy. And I want to remind you that there's a word in this text, and it's the word blessing. Now, in our world, because of the uh, hyper-capitalism and greed we have, when you hear the word blessings, you have to think of these things. Vacations, wealth, house, toys. But biblically, this is not the meaning of the word blessing in this text. When, when Peter says, give a blessing, he's not saying give a plane. Give a Rolls Royce. Give a fat stack of cash. He's saying give a blessing like this. The word for blessing in 1 Peter 3 is the Greek word eulogia. It's the root of our word eulogy. The words of blessing we speak when someone is past. And we're remembering their life and their character. For the last couple years, there's a song that's been incredibly popular around the country that's rooted in the pages of Scripture, and it's a word of blessing. If you're the kind of person who hates songs that are repetitive, I'm sorry for the next six minutes. But I think these words are powerful, and when I was working on this message, Jake and I got together, and we felt like this song was just a great close to the service, and so I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and hear or sing these words of God's blessing in your life today.